Hello, Paul. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this yet another in our series of sensational Super Soraway Skyfall spoiler special podcasts. This one we wanted to hold back until November 9th. Why November 9th? Well, that's when Skyfall opens in the States, and we wanted to be kind to our American cousins, including, of course, Felix Leiter and that really annoying sheriff from Man with the Golden Gun and Live and Let Die. Neil Purvis and Robert Wade have been Bond writers in residence now for about five movies, starting with The World Is Not Enough, and with Skyfall they've written, along with John Logan, possibly the best Bond movie in years. And they came into the Paul booth to talk to us about all sorts of spoilery Skyfall goodness. Word of the wise, if you haven't seen Skyfall, get the Twin Multiplex right now, and then come back when you're done. You won't regret it. Trust us. The first voice you're going to hear in the interview is Neil Purvis's, and Neil and Robert were talking to myself and Nick DeSemlin. Enjoy. Uh, we're joined in the pod booth uh, by the writers of Skyfall. Well, five Bond films now, isn't it? For you guys, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, welcome. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, we've been doing it for 15 years Heavily, now, man no, and boy. Uh, <laughs> we're co-writers uh, on this one. Uh-huh. I mean, we've got John Logan as well. Um, uh, of course. How does, that, how does that work? Because you've had Paul Haggis as well on Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale. Mm. Are you in the same room at the same time? Are you writers on set? And does he does he take your draft and do his own spin on it? How does it um, well, in what's happened with, with all of the ones that we've been involved with, where another writer has come on, is we've originated it and then something is, you know, changed and... Um, um, I remember once uh, the director's wife came on and did a polish, which meant that we. <laughs> yes, uh, that must be very interesting. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's some it's it's always uh, what what's ha- what happened with this was we started it with Sam and um, and then spent about a year getting it right, and but at that point MGM was um, sort of moribund. But we were working on this script and getting it right, uh, and and but at the point that MGM sort of the bankruptcy was resolved, mm-hmm. they then um, that's when they wanted to bring John Logan in. Is there a sense that you're the uh, the Bond writers in residence, as it were, uh, or do you have to pitch for each gig as it comes along? Oh, you can never assume you're going to be doing the next one. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Uh, they, we've been f- fortunate a couple of times. I mean, on Casino Royale, actually, we were hired to do uh, two. So that was Casino and Quantum were both uh, agreed at the time because we wanted to to kind of split the story. Yeah. And um, and since that was the the last book and the first book that we would <laughs> that Fleming uh, allow, would you know that we had access to. Um, we wanted to make the most of it by uh, by by dragging two films out of it, <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. So the way that worked was what happened was that Paul Haggis came on and polished what we did in in Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and whilst that was shooting, we we were out, you know, came out to the Bahamas and uh, were thrashing out what Quantum was going to be. Okay. Um, and it was very interesting because we could see the the exactly how it was working with Daniel and the way that the movie was how he was playing it so that did help have a an, us with our attitude towards the sequel but quantum changed a lot from i mean casino and skyfall has been have been pretty close to uh, what we've we did uh yes quantum yeah quantum changed a lot yeah 
Um, because um, there was a story Daniel Craig said that uh, Quantum was affected by the writer's strike, so you know, there was a draft. Well, yeah, what, what happened was we did our version of it, our, our draft, and then Paul Haggis, the studio wanted him to come on and, and do what he did. And he sorted throughout a lot of our stuff mm. and kept the, some basic elements like the Sienna sequence with the paleo mm. and um, the loose structure of it but changed it a lot um, and but the trouble was there wasn't there, actually there wasn't enough time for him to finish that process mm. before the writer's strike started so it was a, it was all unfortunate really because it wasn't a finished script that he handed in and um, yeah I mean if they'd have shot what we'd written originally they wouldn't have been a problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't seem to be able to learn from that but, uh. I, really, I really enjoyed the fact that there was a, a kind of a two film story which is a, kind of a new thing for Bond is Skyfall a break from that are you going to be returning to the quantum storyline no um, Skyfall is a break from it and it was in a way because Quantum of Solace was ended up it's quite a bleak film, mm. quite dark. And that was because it was resolving Bond's emotional problems to do with Vesper. Um, the opportunity was, let, let's let let some light into it. And I think that's what Sam welcomed. It was actually you were coming from a, a, a quite um, claustrophobic film, in a way, to... And then Sam was coming in to, to make a, a, a kind of bigger more celebratory sort of celebration of of Bond himself uh, so a cl- sort of classic Bond film and, and so we were de- certainly never thinking we deal with Quantum as an organisation or Mr White and all of those things they're still potentially out there if mm. anyone wants to pick them up and run mm. with them because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Kim Newman in the uh, Empire Review of Skyfall so that there's a sense in the movie because it deals with the sense of history it deals with the sense of of Bond being old and a lot of time having elapsed from the previous movie four years in real world uh, I don't know how many years between Quantum and Skyfall in Bond world um, <laughs> there's a sense that, that it, it's almost a Doctor No to Die Another Day those 20 movies have happened for this Bond is that something that you were you were driving at and in that case is there an idea that maybe this Bond has taken care of Quantum in the in the, in the interim between uh, Quantum and Skyfall. Well, uh, you can you can think what you like about that. <laughs> I mean, if yeah, they want to bring Quantum back, it will come back. Yeah, yeah I think. Um, I mean, I think it, in a sense, it, yeah, he's got the baggage. He's got that baggage. But we felt that actually, by the end of Quantum, he's been through a hell of a lot, and he he is. It's almost like he's a veteran, but at the end of that, in mm. a sense. So, even though it's ironic, really, because it started off with Casino as his his coming of age. It was Bond twenty one. No mm. one, no one actually spotted that. <laughs> he comes of age, and um, and then there was a sort of accelerated. I don't know what the word is. It's sort of, you know, it's not very good with words. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry about it anyway. <laughs> No, it's a, a sort of accelerated aging in that in that movie sure, yeah. somehow, and uh, so Kim Newman's theory may be correct, but uh, we didn't realise it. Okay, is this an insight, by the way, into how you two guys work in the room? Where you know, <laughs> he insults me, <laughs> yeah. and I and I uh, laugh Except it off. Robert, yeah. Robert goes, "Oh, there's a there's a word. What's the word?" And then you insult him, and that's <laughs> and that's how it works. <laughs> yes. How do you work in the in the room together? 
We, we try to, if it's a room, we try to be at other ends of it. Um, <laughs> we actually don't, I mean, we see each other a couple of times a week, but we write separately. Okay. Uh, we, we meet up and work out what we're going to do. And then we go off and do it separately and email things to each other and they get rewritten and rewritten and, you know. Okay. So you so, finally get there. So no one person can claim authorship of a particular line or a particular scene or... Oh, you still remember what you did. <laughs> <laughs> can you uh, remember who came up with the title? Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Rob came up with the title. Well, I mean, not not I as a title, not as a title. No. He came up with the, the name of the house. Uh, right. Yeah, um, that was a sort of... Well, the interesting thing is that the whole third act was a thing that came up in the last two weeks when we were we were having to hand the script in for it to be read by MGM as they came out of the problem. So it had to, and but we had a completely different third act and had never been happy with it. And then we had this idea of you know what Bond does is effectively go it alone with her and kidnap her and mm. take her to this place that he would never go back to uh, under any other circumstances and that seemed to really fit the idea of going back to the old ways kind of thing and you know Fleming was always a big fan of of um, John Buchan and he had a novel called Green Mantle mm -hmm. which was a, an espionage novel and I was that was fascinating it's the name of a house mm -hmm. and I've found that sort of thing interesting. There's some odd ha names for houses around. And so we were looking for a name for this house that had to be... Like Mandalay. Like Mandalay, yeah. exactly. There's, it's evocative and you don't really know what it means. And um, it was two o'clock in the morning and the script had to go off and I just <laughs> typed Skyfall. So it sort of fell out of the sky, actually. <laughs> and I never thought that that would end up as the title of the movie. Mm. Um, uh, but um, it obviously struck a chord. But if, if we'd thought that the name of the house would be the name of the film and the name of the, the song... Mm, we'd have talked about it a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you'd have done a three-syllable uh, house name. Yeah. Like Mandalay, that's, that's, yeah, that's pretty exactly. good, it's actually. It's the first two-syllable uh, Bond title, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Must be fun. Uh, well, some people find that interesting. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm interested. It must be fun seeing songs written about, written around the, these titles that you got. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And I'm, not, I'm still not sure about the uh, legal position as far as uh, royalties, actually. Because uh, also, Die Another Day was something that came out of my mouth. And uh, Barbara Broccoli said, mm, that could work as a title. Indeed. And then Madonna, you know. Right. So, so, so I, you haven't seen Penny One of any royalties from Die Another Day? The not song, for the, the song. song. Okay, no. yeah. Might, there may not have been many. So. <laughs> Um, you talked about breaking the uh, the story for this movie with with Sam. How how tough is it, you know, given that this is the twenty third Bond film, uh, to break the, the the story of a Bond film? Well, it's it gets harder every time, uh, and with this, I suppose once we we met with Sam and Daniel, and they talked about the sort of things that they wanted. And the most important thing, well, there were a couple of things. One, we, we agreed we were going to deal with Bond's relationship with M. Mm. And we were also going to find a worthy adversary for Daniel. And someone who's, uh, you know, a mirror image of him almost. Uh, just the evil side. And we talked about Javier 
as the actual person that we could get. And, uh, and, and, and Red actually- Fines as the person who who uh, is this sort of threat to M from yeah. from within. So those elements of her being sort of things, her mistakes coming home to roost, and um, the way she she deals with her own agents yeah. actually starting making Bond question everything mm. question his relationship with her and then the structure of him coming to coming back to help but being not being sort of trusted uh, was that we had that from very early on but but actually making it work as a story it's really really tough yeah I mean really I think hard. we because we always look at the books and the we only live twice uh, the fact that his obituary is in that one, I think, isn't it? I think it's there. And, and also, Man it, with the Golden Gun, we were thinking originally Javier being like Scaramanga okay. in the book more. Yeah, and and actually in that, that isn't that the one that starts with Bond having... He, he, he sort of died at the end of... Twice. At the end of A You Only Live Twice, he, he, gets, he gets hit on the head mm. and thinks he's Japanese can't remember doesn't know who he is and he's in this relationship with Kissy I think Mm. and she gets pregnant by him I think and then he reads something in a newspaper about sees the word Vladivostok and decides that he must be from there and goes to Vladivostok to find out who he is and we actually I mean that sounds bonkers he gets brainwashed and comes back to at the beginning of the ma- man with the golden gun and tries to kill him right it's fascinating stuff and we were starting with that actually and and also an element of you only live twice that was never really in in, in that film in that book uh it's blofeld mm-hmm. who's a character called dr shatterhand and um he lives in a old castle on an island and mm-hmm. That ended up being a hollowed-out volcano with Roald Dahl writing yes, the script. Yes, yes. But um, we did start with Silver, actually, an element of that, that he was sort of Blofeld in... The, and that we found that abandoned island on a, on the internet. We, we didn't scout it as a location. That's um, generally how it works, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, wait, it, these things go through enormous changes. Um, so... For a long time, we we had this that actually Silver's character was he had it, it was an, a prison on an island mm-hmm. that he had taken over from within, and he now ruled this prison. And so you know, there's still a feel of some of that, but it's but finding that location gave it a completely different idea, which is yeah. an abandoned island. So Fleming is not completely exhausted as a source, then. No, I mean. It, as uh, as an inspiration, it's mm. it's uh, that is what we've done every time with Barbara Michael, mm. and Sam's a big fan of the book, so is Daniel. So if you can just get, reach for that stuff, yeah, yeah, there are always little interesting things still to be found. He's he's afraid of flying, isn't he? For they haven't done that yet, and he hasn't <laughs> been sick after he's killed someone yet. Well, no, he has <laughs> in he? Doctor No. Yeah, he goes he goes off camera and wretches. Oh yeah, true. And we talked there about the idea about this being about almost as much about M 
as it is about Bond. And the relationship between Judy Dench as M and Bond has been fascinating over the course of, of seven films. This is clearly, obviously, her swan song. When was the decision taken, uh, and did you take it, to, to kill her off? Well, well we, it wasn't our decision to make, but it was mm-hmm. it was something that was agreed right from the outset. Okay, we actually killed her in a draft of Quantum, Quantum yeah. yeah. Oh, and okay. but it it was sort of I think it was about halfway through the film or two thirds mm-hmm. the way, and it and it didn't really you know it, it happened too quickly. It didn't treat something as gigantic as that mm-hmm. with enough. Uh, so once it, it was agreed that we'd go down that road again, uh, we we had to make the whole film really about their relationship. Mm. And it, yeah, so it was a great opportunity. Uh, it really, so we knew where we were going with it all the time that that was what it was ultimately leading to. But like I say, it finally only really made sense as a as a whole story when we came up with that third act of him taking her to Skyfall, because that's the sort of him exposing himself emotionally to this woman. But and 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 actually, he takes her there, and there's his old the man who taught him to shoot. Yeah, you know the man who who kind of the link to the past. Yeah. And there, there's these two old people who, are, so it's almost like Bond has reconstituted his his family mm-hmm. by bringing Judy there, and so that really retrospectively, I think, with the work that John Logan then did on the script, informed it because it gave you this old and and the new, which is all the other stuff that and the, the new guard coming in. I suppose he's even got the old car there, hasn't he? As well, it, well that was the whole point. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Uh, so yes, that's that's um, having that solid um, element of knowing that we were going to kill him at the end, and that mm. everything is going to lead to it, gives you everything mm. else. It's why does it happen? It happens because of something from her past, yes. and that is a, an agent that she didn't treat correctly. Mm. Just as Bond is an agent that has suffered at her hands as well. Was Silver a former double O agent? He he wasn't in our mind. He was an, an agent work operating in in Hong Kong for her. Um, we never said that he was a double O agent, but he was a guy that she used um, because he'd been compromised by the um, Chinese. Um, she just made a decision, but so he thinks he was double O seven in to her but yeah. I don't think he ever yeah. was he's slightly deluded at times <laughs> yeah. he's, he's deranged he's completely deranged I, I think he is yeah, yeah. <laughs> was the hair in your script or was that a decision made by someone else well it was Sam at, but it and was Javier, Javier mm. really mm. So he turned Sam didn't think that would work and then Javier showed him and they realised that it was fantastic Going back to the uh, to the last act as well, it's very interesting because it does something that no Bond film has done before, which is obviously isolate Bond at the very end of a movie and have him being attacked rather than him attacking someone else. It's the first time that Bond, is, his stronghold, has been assaulted by other people. Uh, again, a very deliberate choice, I, I, I guess, on your part. Yeah, I suppose we weren't really... I mean, the, the, it means that Skyfall becomes the, um, the, the room, the computer... Uh, central control that gets blown well, we up. Did, well, the inspiration for us was um, that uh, terrific novel by Jeffrey Household um, mm-hmm. 
Rogue, Rogue Mail. Okay. And that's and that actually that inspired um, first Rambo First Blood. All right. Yes. Okay. It's basically about going back to basics and the man who you know who you you learn to shoot you hunting all of that and and going back to all that kind of field craft and so that was really the idea that, okay. uh, that um, and to get away from all the technology that that Silver loves was Kincaid Albert Finney's character written for Sean Connery by the time we wrote it it was clear that it was going to be a 50th anniversary movie because originally we weren't you know we weren't thinking it's going to be 50th anniversary we uh, it just took us a long time um and it was a sort of a well that would be a great role you know it'd be, it'd be a great moment but um nobody i don't think of that we we wanted it to be a character that worked in its own right yeah. so yeah i think that it might have been too much if it really had been sean connery I mean, it, it, it's yeah. difficult to, to say how that would have been. <laughs> Some reacted. questions might have been raised. <laughs> it's like, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I never understand how those things work anyway. But no, I think it was really, um, it was more the idea of this man that was his, uh, he, that from his past who understands him. Um, and um, I don't know. One thing uh, I really liked in the film uh, was all the little nods and references to and the subtle stuff to, to the other ones. Um, the, the bit with the Komodo dragons, was that a, a live and let die moment? And, and just generally speaking with those moments, was there one that you didn't put in? How did you kind of decide what to put in? I can't remember. I mean, the, the Komodo dragon, we didn't do that. Um, I think you I mean, you know, you know, Sam, that was Sam's first Bond film. You are always dependent on what the director thinks what their image of a Bond movie is and it's often from when they were young and Live and Let Die seemed to mean a lot to him mm. uh, but I mean I think bringing in the Aston Martin was the big thing for us uh, other than that we weren't really trying to do anything uh, I mean I think the skulls as well seemed to come from Live and Let Die as well that uh, right. yeah. are in the film which Again, it's not oh, well. That's that's post production, wasn't it? That was a late decision. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I think that again, Sam uh, bringing that influence in. And how about Money Penny and Q bringing them back into it? That was always the plan, um, and it was always the plan that you wouldn't realise she was Money Penny until uh, late in the day. And um, but it was sort of like a gift to the audience because we we stripped those them out to make Casino Royale really focused on Bond and M and uh, and and now it's time to give people the things that they even sort of Hem's office is even like the old office isn't it now it's yeah, got a that's, padded door yeah that's a very nice touch I like mm. that it feels very much like Dr No at the end I almost wanted Daniel Craig to throw a hat on the hat I know unfortunately nowadays I mean it would be well he wears a, a um, sort of what do they call them what? Well, uh, uh, what hat would it be nowadays is the thing. Can, you don't have bowler hats. Probably be a, a Pete Doherty-ass pork pie hat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I don't want to see Bond wearing well, one Sam, of those. Well, Sam <laughs> seems to go around wearing a, uh, you know, a flat cap, doesn't he? Mm, and, right. and, uh, and I know Dan, Dan wears one of those yeah. as well, so there should have been one of those hanging <laughs> the, on the hat stand. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the movie is as much... Uh, well, it's not as much, but it is very much, uh, very much a Moneypenny origin story as well. Uh, how much fun did you have coming up with, with 
with Eve's background? Well, we did a few versions of that, didn't we? And and it was really Sam's thing to put her as an agent in action. Is it? Is that right? Or I yeah, can't remember. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we did do a version with her as as an uh, an action kind of person. It's very difficult to remember. Somebody said that <laughs> when they did, they had to archive um, the scripts from Casino Royale once, and right. there was something like sixty-seven drafts. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, you're not necessarily uh, asking the right people. No, you should be talking <laughs> no. to the archivist. True, true. So if I were to ask who came up with the gag with the uh, the ejector seat button in the Aston Martin, uh, would that well, be? Well, actually, we that was Sam because we. In our logic, that wasn't the... He was the one who put the the machine guns. Right, okay. We didn't do that because in our version, it's... It's the it's the car that Bond won in the uh, in the in Casino Royale. Of course, yes, yes. Which was a left hand drive, <laughs> and he must have spent quite a lot of money to have it converted over to right hand drive. But it wasn't actually that that car. It wasn't right. the Goldfinger car, and it, that was Sam who pushed it into that. Uh, you know, he had the confidence to do that, but we were stuck with our logic of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he did. Ha- what we did have was that he had a hell of a lot of weapons in the boot of the car. Right. Okay. And uh, that was, you know, a plan. Okay. Okay. Uh, and going back to Money Penny, the uh, the idea of her her origin, the uh, the sexual tension between Bond and Money Penny over the years in the previous films has has always been there. It's been a, a core element of their relationship. And there seems to be a, a, a moment in in Skyfall where they may or may not have consummated a relationship. Well, what's your what's your take on that? Well, I, I we were aiming for that they hadn't consummated it, but mm. I think the impression in the film is that they did. Yes, I think that is the impression <laughs> you get. And but there was talk of various lines to suggest they hadn't, uh, but. Uh, for when they're walking around the casino, yes. but in the end, I think Sam is must have been happy with the the idea that they probably have. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, technically speaking, they have made love in the past, haven't they? Because uh, in, at the end of Die Another Day, there was that gag where the um, virtual Samantha reality. Bond yes, yes, yes. It, it got a, a massive laugh. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard a bigger laugh than that in the cinema. But um, uh, and she does know he's a cunning linguist as well. So well, how does she how does she know these yeah, things? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, are you looking forward then to uh, say, for example, if you do more bonds after this, you're looking forward to giving her more to do, or, or is, is she essentially going to be behind the desk for the next? few films well we do, we just have I you know I think that's it the way it's left now it's a setup for lots of fun to be had there's a terrific relationship there between Bond and and, and Rafe Fiennes yeah um, you know a very different dynamic than the one between Judy and and, and um, mm. uh, Dan so whoever does it is going to have fun with um, what comes next so it's all just there for the yeah, I mean that is good that you know she can use a gun even if she can't yeah. necessarily mm. hit the right target. <laughs> that's a pretty difficult shot to take. Yeah, to, yeah. to be fair. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I think M was being a bit naughty there, making a shoot. <laughs> and you, you've got this really fun dynamic between Bond and Q, which is completely different to an inversion of the the old relationship between Bond and Q, where Bond is 
this young whippersnapper. Is gadgets something <coughs> that may come back into it, do you think? Well, I mean, we found gadgets very difficult now to put in. And that's why, you know, they, 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 they went for the very simple ones. Um, with iPhones, you know, there's just too many things that people have got at their disposal mm. we have got one that we've always wanted to use that we can't tell you about <laughs> uh, again it's a simple one but um, the thing about a gadget or what what used to be the essence of a gadget was it's a thing that everybody wants and they can't have and uh there aren't many things like that nowadays so um but this secret one we can't tell you about. <laughs> hmm. But uh, no more invisible cars, do you think? Or is that something that might might happen? Uh, I think that was... That was, um, you know... <laughs> well, I mean, what are your feelings on the invisible car now? Well, we... The, the, the same as our feelings were then, which was it shouldn't it was a, be invisible. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was a visible car when we uh, left the film. Was it a typo on the script? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. accidentally in. <laughs> got left. Now, what happened was that there was, the, there was this technology being developed at that time, which, which is a type of camouflage that uses cameras to pro and then project the images from the camera on the other side of the thing onto the and he it explains it, all that in the film right? yeah yeah and and it's meant to be so it works in the desert or in the ice as it camouflages it makes something hard to to make out but it's not hiding it it's just camouflaging it as it mm -hmm. were it's certainly not meant to be invisible and, <laughs> uh, you know so when yeah i mean we saw you know, we said the that. I mean, it should be. Well, it was of, sort of like that effect in Predator, wasn't it? Yes, the the, the camouflage. Yeah, the, the and light, it, yeah. we thought it should be a bit less. Yeah, we thought than it that. should be dialed down to about three or four. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, well, Lee wanted to go for eleven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that. So you know, there, there's been a lot of flack for that, but. Um, uh, you, I, you know, we've kept quiet about it, <laughs> but actually, until the, now. well, no. The thing is that nobody realises that there's been invisible cars in all the movies, but you just haven't seen them. <laughs> <laughs> that explains why people can creep up on Bond. And if you if you watch, it's, it's amazingly when you watch Bond again, it's like he gets crept up on so often uh -huh. and knocked out from behind. It's, Hit it's, on the head. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he should have some sort of wing mirror attachment. <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's your secret uh, gadget. Well, Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Um, just a couple of last questions, guys. I mean, um, we talked a little bit about Mallory, who is now the, the new M. What was your thoughts with about that character? And what, did you have a brief, essentially, for him? Was he always going to be the new M? Was that the, was that the idea? Yeah, he always was. Yeah. And, and he was meant to represent bureaucracy and a kind of coldness, but then you learn more about him and, and discover that he's got what it takes. Mm. And um, But he's... A sort of yes, he's a threat to M, and Bond doesn't like him. Uh, he's, he he doesn't like Bond, or he doesn't believe in Bond, and he. So that was always fairly straightforward, actually. Um, and it's just we always had the hope that it would be Rafe, mm -hmm. and you know it's interesting that he's he's taken that on so it's great and it's interesting as well you establish I mean this is the first film if I can recall correctly in which Judy Dench fires a gun uh, as M um, uh, but you've also established that Mallory can fire a gun and can handle himself and he's pretty handy with, yeah. with, his, with his fists and which could come in useful later on well yeah I hadn't thought of that uh, M and 
uh, well, it's the money penny. Yeah. Um, um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> killing people. Yeah. <laughs> some sort of uh, some sort of hit squad. Um, you talked there about you. You write for because um, some screenwriters say don't write with an actor in mind. Some screenwriters say do write with an actor in mind. Obviously, you you can't avoid that with Bond. Um, how does that shape how you write? Would does writing for Pierce differ from writing from for Daniel, for example? Well, Pierce was at a time when Bond was a was a fully formed character that everyone in the world knew, yeah. and so there wasn't an opportunity to go on a new uh, a new journey. We could just all we could really do was put him through as much hell as we could, you know. So we had him get captured. That was a radical thing at the time, at the beginning of Die Another Day. The idea that Bond gets captured and incarcerated for mm. a year and a half, and he's he's ba- and then traded as a as a spy because he he's they think he's leaking information. That's that was as far as we could go in putting him into a on his back foot. Mm. You know, we that was pretty radical at the time, and um, but that that's all you can really do. And as far as giving an actor a, uh, a, a dramatic arc for a for in a Bond film, we were lucky to be around with Casino Royale and a new actor, so you could give him mm. an arc. I mean, but Casino, Daniel wasn't... When we were writing it, Daniel wasn't Bond, was he? No, he wasn't. No, so we were writing mm. it for... Uh, we were writing it as Fleming's Bond, mm-hmm. which I think was quite a good way of, of, of doing it. Yeah, and, you know, we're obviously incredibly lucky um, with with having such a good actor as Dan. Um, but because of where he's at within within his development as a as a Bond... Yes, there was much more room to give him dramatic, dramatic scenes. Um, so, but and also with Pierce, you because of the limitations of of the circumstances that he, you you can't do a massive dramatic arc because of where he's at in the story in the life of Bond. We, there was this sort of thing that he's he's good at, at delivering, you know, doing the comedic touches as well. So um, that. We we probably wrote more of those more than we w- would have wanted to actually to some extent. Oh yeah, definitely. Too many gags. There's, yeah, well, there seems to be a real sense with uh, the Skyfall Bond that he's the bondiest Bond that Daniel Craig has yet portrayed. Is that and, and you're heading towards maybe not quite Moore territory, but that sort of later Connery kind of vibe. Is that was that something you were aiming for with this movie? I think that's what. Sam was aiming for yeah. the, the the film, and we and we, Dan, yeah, yeah, and we we facilitated that as best we could. I mean, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I think it's best to hold back a little bit from the, the Roger Moore mm. uh, era. Well, Certainly yeah, the, I don't the think the next movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not going to be wearing flares in the next uh, movie. Oh man, well, I mean, that'd be great. Uh, how much power does? Uh, how much input does Daniel Craig have? Because he seems to me, um, just from reading and watching interviews with him about this movie, he seems to have more story input than any previous uh, Bond actor. Is that fair to say? Well, story is perhaps too strong a word for it. I think, as from what we've experienced, uh, maybe I don't know uh, what. Uh, but we, I mean, we, we just talked about the sort of film he wanted to make mm. and the sort of, uh, yeah. you know, actors that he would want to yeah. be and, involved with. And I, I actually, I think that because the producers are so pleased with what he does, they want him to be happy. So 
he, so you know it was his idea to to ask Sam Mendes yes and that Barbara and Michael supported him in that and and so this whole film is is a direct result of of that of of Sam being on board mm. Sam really wanted it to work he it it was the right time for him and so it's ultimately Daniel, yeah, he obviously doesn't want to be in a bad movie. He wants to be in a good movie. <laughs> but he would, he would talk. I mean, we've had a, you know a couple of discussions with he and Sam. But it, the correct process, it, Dan will talk to Sam, you know, and then Sam can talk to us and and pass these things on or not, you know. So we there has to be a buffer. He wouldn't come straight to us and tell us things like. Okay, and it's interesting that Skyfall addresses Bond's ageing, which is something you, you never got in the Connery or, or the Moore years. Well, Roger Moore was, they did, um, when he was running up those steps, they did add some breathing, heavy breathing, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Which dealt with his age, I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. That. <laughs> but was that, again, something that you wanted to tackle with this movie? A lot of references to Bond being old or being out of touch and... Yeah, I think that was all to do with the general theme of, of Bond's relevance at the moment. Uh, and, um, yeah, so I think that was just part of the whole caboodle. But you really make him an underdog, as in Silver is so... His plan is so kind of diabolical and, and well thought through that Bond is really up against it. Well, that's there was a thing that we, we've learnt in the process of doing these films is that Bond looks better... If, if you give him hot, bigger obstacles to overcome and we admire him more and Daniel you know that was so clear in Casino Royale the fact that in that opening chase that we had that was designed conceived to be to show that he's rough around the edges and that he he's not as good as this other guy in fact when you watch that sequence which is so amazing what you're amazed by is not really what Bond does it's what the stunt uh, the the guy doing the parkour does <laughs> that's the, the most spectacular stuff but it's, but inscribed within it is Bond's character which is he may not be as good as this guy but he's going to keep going after him and he he's relentless and he keeps getting knocked down and he gets back up and that's what we admire in Bond so it was great to be able to put him in out of condition and and doubted by everyone and and having to reassert himself. Another the British bulldog. Exactly. And then when he opens mm. the door and you've got the Aston Martin and you know he's t he's taking her away from all of this to yeah. save her. Uh, it's a sort of stirring moment. There's there's been a, a debate uh, going back to earlier on in the film. A debate in the Empire office is raging at the moment about uh, Silver's plan and how much, um, how aware he is of Bond's movements. So, for example, the, the Shanghai sequence with uh, Ola Rapace's character and that, that fight um, through to the casino. Does Silver know at that point, as far as you consider, that Bond is alive? Is, or is, it, is Bond just happening upon Silver's operation? Yeah, well, that's an interesting one because there are there are some there are there were there was more to it at one point. Okay, the, more logic to it, um, but that it got erased in the post production, which is right, I think. Yeah, I think that they've tried to keep the story as simple as possible, um, and um, we yeah. always try and make the film as complicated as possible. <laughs> uh, but the so. At that point, yeah, it, I mean, Silver's aware of what happens on the boat, yes, because you know he he know he knows what's going on, 
but I wouldn't say it was his intention all along for um, Bond to kill Ola Rapace. Yes. Uh, it, that would be too elaborate. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, Silver's plan in general, was it tough coming up with that? Uh, or when you have a character who is so diabolical and so one, one or two steps ahead of the hero at, at every point, is it is it tough to come up with an overarching plot that makes sense at every step of the way for example the, the, the tube train sequence I mean how much planning has Silver done yeah well he must years? have done quite a bit <laughs> he's, done, he's done it for a bit yeah. yeah well it's it's one of those things where you're sort of making it up as you go along and then you and then you have to start going back into it to make, <laughs> sort of make that make sense yes. and sometimes that that's easier than other times um but I don't think you should analyse the plots too. too uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there's better things to do. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one last question, uh, Jens, you've been fantastic, is about product placement, which is how do you write around it? Are you, you know, for example, there's a follow that Audi line <laughs> at one point, and oh. do you make do you make references to to Bond drinks Heineken or he crushes Volkswagen Beetles, or, or is it just something that happens after the script? We done? we don't. Yeah, we we write what we want to write, and then they. Look look at what can go in the film mm-hmm. and and then they make deals with people but yeah. you know they only get advertising they don't actually get physical money I well it's think. it's yeah it, it's it's tied in um uh what do you call it promotional partners so yes so the audience before they see the movie i get a sense that it's marketed you know there's all of these products but actually in the film it's not too intrusive I don't I don't know no, I think that years ago uh, wasn't there a chase when Roger Moore is going past all the, in Moonraker I think he's going up a road and they're just all these posters that he's going past that they keep on having, oh, uh, zooming that's in clever. on <laughs> he stops uh, and points at one of them <laughs> but um, well, you know uh, interestingly enough we've always wanted to have Bond have a a, a a wet shave with a cutthroat razor mm-hmm. And we did have that when he you know, and die another day when he, he comes out of you know he escapes with that giant beard, <laughs> and we did originally write that as he it's a wet shave thing and um, and then they came along to us and said well Phillips or Norelco as they call <laughs> they kind of really like him to have a you know one of their things and you know that was a, that was one of those decisions where. You know, we weren't going to argue about yes. that because it brought in a lot of promotional money and everything. But so technically, it is difficult, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, it's very difficult with a cutthroat razor as well. <laughs> Do you have a stockpile of scenes that haven't gone into bonds over the years then that you have? Okay, well, maybe we can put the close shave scene in here. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Including uh, the uh, the secret gadget you want to tell us about? Yeah, one of the... You never know. Yeah. So uh, what is next for you guys? Are you, are you hoping to stick around for the next one? Or next, no, next we, couple, well, or? we found that they take so much time uh, that we don't get to do other things. So I mean, we were two years on this one. Yeah. Uh, uh, we ate, And we aged four years. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's we, Bond years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we... Um, well, no, there were, we're sort of... Uh, the next up is that um, very exciting thing we wrote this script a couple of years ago called Corsica 72 mm-hmm. and um, Chan Wook Park uh, who did Old Boy you know, mm-hmm. and is a terrific amazing director uh, wants to direct it so we're trying wow. to cast it at the moment and um, that's and we'll and that will be us wearing our um, you know boots jack boots as producers wow. um, as well as writers and what can you tell us about that 
Well, it's set in Corsica in 1972. <laughs> how do they guess? And it's sort of what the what how we we describe it is as a sort of violent stellar artois ad. <laughs> Not Heineken. <laughs> <laughs> sold. <laughs> Absolutely sold. Well, guys, I wish you all the best for that. But if you were to return to Bond, what do you think might happen next? Because <laughs> are we are we in a world where maybe you could start remaking previous Bond films? That's an interesting question, and. If they do start remaking one, the first one they should remake is Die Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> With the visible car. Brilliant. <laughs> Neil, Robert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, right. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's it from our Skyfall Spoilers special podcast with Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. We will have more spoiler podcasts coming up in the not-too-distant future, so keep an eye out for those. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>